Romans chapter 8. With the uh, advent of, of the, the paper, the radio, the TV, and now the internet, uh, we are caught up on, on the news uh, pretty regularly. Matter of fact, some people are like addicted uh, to the news. Um, I, I'm thinking about uh, when, when election time is, is around and uh, I see like the news on TV at people's houses like just constantly, constantly keeping up uh, to date. And, and so we all understand how that is. Matter of fact, most of us, uh, probably during uh, COVID, we tuned into the news pretty regularly uh, to hear from our governor or to hear uh, from the vice president or the president, because we wanted to be informed. We wanted to know what was happening, whether it was locally uh, within our community or our state or our country, but we also wanted to know what was happening around the world. And I remember seeing some of those uh, pictures and some of those videos of places around the world and some of the things that they were doing to try to uh, control the outbreak of, of COVID. And uh, with, with news these days, it's, it's just amazing how quickly we find out about things. Uh, like, uh, what was it, just yesterday they shot down another um, uh, flying object. They are calling, well, they call it a UFO, but not a flying saucer UFO, uh, just like a spy type of, of item up in the sky. And so the reason why we know about all of those things is because of the news. Now, when we think about the news, and this is kind of my, my segue into our message this morning, that the gospel actually means, the Greek word behind the word gospel means good news. But it's not just good news, like the good morning, good, uh, good, what, good morning Sacramento type of, of news. It's really great news, news that changes lives. And so Paul here, as, as we kind of uh, get headed into, their, into Romans chapter 8, here in chapter 1 it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul was someone who seriously believed the gospel and wanted everyone to know uh, what the gospel meant and for it to change their lives. Though Paul was someone who was really um, sent to the Gentiles, he was a man that often went to the Jews, his, his brothers, uh, to be able to share that good news of that gospel. And so today we do want to focus on the gospel, the good news, because we've been talking about um, the gospel changing lives. We've been talking about biblical conversion. And so today we want to center on the gospel. How is the gospel good news and how does it change lives? So we're not going to go through kind of the steps of the gospel, but instead we're going to look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, because he gives us some information about how Jesus Christ has really fixed a relationship between uh, God and mankind. So of course we know there at the fall, mankind's relationship with God was broken. When Jesus Christ came, that relationship was put back together. And so Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. And so let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God's word. We'll just read just uh, four verses this morning to get us started here. And so this is Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus... 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's go and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you. Thank you for another opportunity to gather together to worship you, but also to gather get together to learn more from your word and more about you. And Lord, as we come today, Lord, we think about the gospel, the good news. We think about what you have done for mankind, what you have done for us personally. That yes, there were times in our life where we did as we wanted. We followed the pursuits of our hearts, our flesh. But Lord, when we joined into a relationship with you through faith, you changed our lives. You gave us hope and purpose. And so, Lord, we pray that today that we would come, we would meet with you, that we would again just praise you for what you have done through the gospel. Through that good news that though we are not righteous in our, in our own regard, that you have given us your son's righteousness that he lived in our place, that he died in our place, that he was buried and that he rose again to show us that one day we too can have a resurrection. And so, Lord, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for that gift you have given to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at that topic of biblical conversion, and we were confronted with the fact that salvation isn't about a new lifestyle, that it's not about church membership, it's not about giving to a ministry, it's not about serving the church. All those things might be good things and right things, but that's not what puts us into a right relationship with the Lord. So we were reminded last week as we looked at that account there in Acts, that here we have Pentecost, and so if you remember uh, there in our a theme verse that says, uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And uh, prior to what's on the banner there, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming. So Jesus Christ, if you remember, said, go and wait and the Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, you will be my witnesses. And really that was God's seal of approval on what was about to happen. So we do know that just as Jesus Christ said, the Holy Spirit would come, that in chapter chapter 2, the Holy Spirit does come, and something miraculous happens as, as Peter is speaking, everyone hears in their own common uh, tongue, and so everyone is hearing from their own language, and the gospel goes out, and so this is a, a very special time, and the gospel is, is touching hearts, and God is using Peter, matter of fact, as we looked at last week, this is Acts 2 37 it says this now when they heard this that is the preaching of of peter here when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do and so the question really was what do we do to be saved you've given us everything that jesus christ has done 
what must we do? And again, uh, this is a, a Holy Spirit moment. Peter is speaking through the Holy Spirit. Everyone is hearing in their own tongue, in their own language. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, that you, um, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we were reminded last week of, of two things that Peter points out to us. First of all, this idea of repent. That idea of repent is the idea of turning from ourself and our works, turning from our sin and dependence upon ourselves, and turning towards God. But there's another thing that Peter here reminds us of. That first one is repent. That other one there is, is baptize every one of you. And we talked about the fact that baptism doesn't save anyone, but that baptism is a picture of what we've already put our faith and trust in. And so next week, uh, we're going to be having a, a baptismal. So we, we thought maybe this week, we're going to put it off till next week. This is a great picture of what someone already believes in their heart. And so next week there will be a baptism. That's going to be a picture of Jesus Christ dying, going underneath the water, being buried, and, and coming back to life, coming back out of the water. It's a picture of what someone believes in their heart, that I believe Jesus Christ has died for me, was buried, and that he rose again for me. And so as, as Peter is saying here, repent and be baptized, he is talking about repent, turn from from your sin and turn from your own works and turn towards God and be baptized. Believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you. So he said that is the two parts of, of salvation there. Repent, turning from sin and self-dependence and turning towards God and believing in the gospel. Now last week we didn't look at this, but what was the final result there at Pentecost, what was that final result? And we see that a little bit later on in just a couple more verses. And it says this in Acts 2.41. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So when I read something like that, and I read some of the things that happen in Acts, we can begin to think to ourselves, gospel as powerful as it was during the church does the gospel have just as much power as when peter preached it as when it is preached in churches today and of course at pentecost that was a very special time there's no doubt that god was working behind the scenes preparing hearts as the gospel went out lives were changed but that does not mean that there's not as much in the gospel because the truth is just as the gospel had power to change lives on that first occasion of Pentecost he still changes lives today matter of fact we can think about some of the times in our history here in the United States where the gospel was preached evangelism happened revival happened and many people came to Christ and so the gospel still has power to change lives just as it did there in Acts chapter 2 and so today what we want to do is we want to look at four truths about the gospel 
And the first truth that we want to look at is, is this. That the gospel brings freedom from condemnation. Okay, that's the first thing that Paul points out to us in, in Acts chapter 8. Again, and this is what the word of God says and has been recorded for us. There is therefore now no condemnation. And so uh, notice that word there, first of all, now, that is in the present, which means that at one time there was condemnation, but now there is not condemnation. And of course he uses that word uh, therefore, and what is he pointing to? Well, that word therefore is pointing to everything he's covered so far in the first seven chapters. And so what has he covered so far in the first seven chapters? Well, he's talked about the fact that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then he talks about the fact that we cannot work for our salvation, but salvation is by grace alone. That it's by faith. That it's not by works, but it's by believing in an object. And who is that object? Well, that object is the work of Jesus Christ. And so... As he looks back, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. And what we want to do is we want to look at this word here, condemnation. This word condemnation, actually, in the, in the Greek, only comes up three times in the Greek. And all three times is in the book of, of Romans. And so Paul is the only one that uses this Greek word for condemnation. And so uh, here it is here. And that word uh, condemnation is the uh, the Greek word is katakrama, and uh, it happens all three times here in Romans. What does it mean? Well, it is it it, it has a, a judicial kind of word. It's it's a standing uh, before a judge, but it is a, a a verdict of guilty based upon the evidence. That is what this word means. That's what Paul is referencing. He's talking about a courtroom setting in which someone has been shown to be guilty and they have been proven to be guilty and there's a punishment associated with that. It's actually the opposite of justification. Someone that is set free has been justified based upon um, the evidence. And so this word here really points to the fact that we deserve judgment, but that's not what Paul is talking about here in verse 1. He actually says, there is therefore now no condemnation. So it's not that we are condemned because of our sin, but instead we don't receive condemnation, not because we are good people, but because we are in Christ Jesus. That is that object of faith. And so again, it's not through good works, it's through Jesus Christ. Now it is true that, that Abraham uh, made mistakes. So we think about uh, the patriarch in the, in the Old Testament, Abraham, and what did he do? Well, he lied about his wife. Why? Because he was fearful for his own life. Even though God gave him a promise that God was going to make a great nation from him, when he was confronted with the fact that he to lie. And so he was fearful. We think about maybe David. David was a good king. He was a king that really desired to worship the Lord and love the Lord. 
worship the Lord and love the Lord. As we think about the book of Psalms, many of those are written by David because he had such a love for God. But even David committed adultery and murdered a man. We think about Peter. We just read about him. And here he is. He is preaching. God is using him. And, and, the, and the men say, what, what, what must we do? And he gives the gospel. And thousands of people's lives are changed. But he's the same man that denied Christ. He's the same man that pulled out the sword and, and struck the servant of a high priest, cutting off the ear. I imagine he was going for the head, and, and uh, the, the servant probably dodged and cut off the ear. Peter is ready to kill that man in defending Christ. And so the Bible is not full of men who are perfect individuals. The Bible is full of men who, by faith, believed God. And so sin does have consequences. When you think about some of the consequences in the Bible, they're not good. But this is the fact that for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation before God. Which means before God is as if we have not sinned. Matter of fact, a little bit later on, or actually a little bit earlier, here in Romans he says this, And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. All right, That free gift is, is the gospel, the result of that one man's sin. What, what Paul is talking about here is Adam's sin. For the judgment followed one trespass brought condemnation. Okay, that's that guilty verdict. And we have that guilty verdict as well because we have all sinned. But then notice this. But the free gift, that is again the gospel, following many trespasses, even though we have sinned against God multiple times, has brought justification. And so that is that opposite word. And that's actually the same Greek word that Paul uses that we just looked at in Acts chapter 8. That condemnation and that justification. It has to do with that courtroom that yes, at one time because of Adam and because sin has been passed down, we are condemned. But in Christ Jesus we've been given that free gift, that gift of justification. And so Jesus Christ is that answer. He is that gospel. Matter of fact, what's recorded for us by the gospel of John says this. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so again, I just need to highlight this. um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right? So Jesus Christ is saying that there is no other way. That again, it cannot be through good works. It cannot be through giving to the church, serving the Lord, trying to earn our salvation, being a good person, turning over a new leaf. It can't be through those things. It can't be I'm raised in a good in a good family. It can't be I go to church regularly or I'm a member of a church or even I've been baptized. If we're putting our faith in anything besides Jesus Christ, our faith is misplaced. Because Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no one, that is, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. And so he brings to us, the gospel brings to us, really this freedom. This freedom from condemnation, this freedom from this guilty verdict based upon our sin. Instead, frees us and gives us justification. So number one today, we are freed from condemnation. Number two today, we are also have freedom from the law. So notice here in, in verse 2, Paul brings up another freedom that is given to us through the gospel. He says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. All right? So we've been set free from another thing. All right? We've been set free from another thing. That is the law of sin and death. And uh, it's interesting here that, that Paul uses both the present and the past tense for the believer and so he says this, he says, for the law, that's the present, for the law of the spirit has set you free from the past. And he says, from the law of sin. And so here we have, we have uh, our standing before God. And, and at one time it was that the, the, uh, the believers by faith would follow God's law. So that they could, in a way, get to God. Although, when they, when they did that, they always fell short. But they did it based upon faith, saying, okay, this is your standard. We desire to live to your standard. We're going to, by faith, work so that we might be right with you. And really, that pointed to the fact that Jesus Christ was going to be that one that took away the sins and they recognized that they had sin. Matter of fact, they regularly had to sacrifice to cover their sin. And so they realized that although they were trying to live under the law, although they were trying to do all of these different things and be right with God, if they continued to fail those things, then they would have to sacrifice regularly. And of course, that pointed to that perfect Lamb of God, that sacrifice that would take away the sins of that world, of the world. That one that would bring freedom from condemnation and freedom from that law. And so it's not God's law that changes us. It is the Holy Spirit through the work of the cross that changes us. Matter of fact, a little bit later on, Paul says this in verse 8. So look down there at verse 8 and it says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Again, this is not um, my words or my philosophy. This is uh, the words of Paul, the apostle. And he says this, You are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so there's this idea throughout the New Testament, a, a, a true idea. That those who have the Holy Spirit are believers. And so the Bible talks about how that Holy Spirit is, is a seal, it's a promise, it's, it's like a, a brand almost that says, you are God's. And so Paul brings that fact up that 
that we have freedom from the law. We no longer live under the law to try to earn our salvation. It's not that way anymore, but instead, really, it is through Jesus Christ. It is through God's Spirit. And I just got to point this out because whenever these things come around, it's good to point out here that uh, you see the uh, Trinity here in this verse. It says this, You, however, in the flesh, uh, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit. Now, the Spirit there is talking about the Holy Spirit. But then notice how that Holy Spirit is referenced. If, in fact, the Spirit of God, so that Spirit is connected to God, dwells in you. And so here we have part of that Trinity, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That is how Paul references the Holy Spirit. But then notice again, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, again, connects back to that Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is connected to God, the Spirit of God. It's also connected to Christ, the Spirit of Christ. Does not belong to God. So the believer does not have the Spirit of God. So it shouldn't surprise us when an unbeliever is centered on his own desires, what makes him happy. It shouldn't be surprising to us that the logos of the world say things like this follow your heart, do what makes you happy. That shouldn't be surprising to us because really that is what comes natural to them. They don't have the Holy Spirit to guide them, to point out what is right and what is wrong. They do what naturally comes to them. And so they do follow their heart. But there should be a difference in us as believers because we do have the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit guides us. It helps us to do what is right and, and helps us not to do those things which we know are not honoring to the Lord. Somebody might, might ask this question, and, and I've had this question before, and so it wouldn't be a surprise to me if maybe you had this question as well. How would I know if I had the Holy Spirit within me? How would I know if the Holy Spirit is present in my life? Well, really, the only one that truly knows is, is you and the Lord. But there are some indicators that people look for, that, that pastors look for, of whether or not someone actually has the Holy Spirit in their life. All right? So let me share with you some of those indicators. And you can do kind of like a, a self-evaluation. Uh, All right? Number one, the Holy Spirit leads and directs believers to do what is right. So God uses the Word of God to help us to say no to our flesh and to help us say yes to Him. And so that victory comes through the Holy Spirit. And so that very first thing, if you're wondering, do I have a Holy Spirit? The question is, do you have victory over sin? Has your life changed after salvation? And so we should not be the same people that we were prior to salvation. God's word and God's spirit should be changing us from the inside out. If you look at your life and say, well, this is where I was prior to putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and really I'm in the same place today, nothing's changed, that could be an indicator that maybe that a confession that really was not a, a real confession. And, and so the Word of God does talk about that when it talks about the seed. It talks about a seed being sown and, and some of it 
fell on stony ground, and some of it fell amongst the weeds and the thorns. Some of it was really kind of killed out by the sun. Matter of fact, uh, someone really close to me has that same testimony. That they made a profession of faith when, when they were younger, but they were never really saved. They just kind of went through the motions. But deep down, they realized that God had never really changed their life, and it was later on in their life that they ended up going to church. And so maybe that's you. Maybe there was never a change in your life. Maybe you went through the motions, but there was never really a heart behind it. And so that's the very first indicator of a changed life. Number two, God's Spirit also convicts us of sin. Now, this is not that we, we're fearful of punishment, all right? That, that's part of the old man, all right? You don't have to be a Christian to be fearful that you're going to be punished. What we're talking about is really a mourning over sin, that when we sin, we're convicted that, that no, no matter if no one knows about that sin, we know and we know God knows and that breaks our heart. That could be that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin. He wants us to let go of that and he wants us to obey him. Or, or maybe there's something that we should be doing and he wants us to grab onto that and make it ours. So he convicts us of the things that we are doing or maybe the things that we are not doing. So first of all, change lives. Second of all, conviction of sin. Third of all, the last uh, indicator this morning of someone that might have the Holy Spirit is they, they just have this sense of a relationship with the Lord. That, that when they pray, they, they sense in their heart. So if your question today, as some have asked in the past, how can I know if I have this Holy Spirit in my life? This is three indicators, not that this means that you have the Holy Spirit and not that this means that you don't have the Holy Spirit, but one is a changed life, two is a conviction of sin, and three is a sense of fellowship with your God, with your Creator. And so if you look through those three things and you say, I fail all three of those things, then it might be time to get serious with the Lord and ask him, am I truly one of your children? So the gospel brings freedom from condemnation. The gospel brings freedom from the law. Now we're under the law of the spirit. And third, the gospel brings or gives us power from Christ. And so there is freedom in Christ. And we're going to see why. It says this, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and not for sin, uh, and not for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
And so in the Old Testament law, the standard of holiness was a mark for mankind. But it was not a law to reproduce holiness in someone's life. It could only really reveal sin. Whenever someone looked at the law, there was always a reminder to them that they have failed the law over and over and over again. The same is true for us today. The same was true for Israel as well. When they looked at the law, it was a reminder to them that they have fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ lived a perfect life without sin. And so he lived under God's standard. He lived under the law. And yet he never once broke God's law. And he lived in our place. And so this is why the gospel has power. Because God set a standard in the Old Testament. He said, this is the standard, this is the law. If, you're, if, if anyone is able to live up to this, then, then they're able to live with me. This is the standard. And, and we as mankind, we look at the standard and it's so high that none of us can ever live to the standard. We, we constantly break that standard. But it was a promise that there would be one day one man that Why could he live up to that standard? Because he is God. That standard is what is God's glory. That standard is, is who can live with God and Jesus Christ is God. He came down from his father and he lived in our place. And so we no longer have to have our own personal righteousness because Christ's righteousness is applied to our life. I am not righteous but my position in Christ is justified just as if I have never sinned before God. Once again, this is made possible because of the power of the cross through the gospel. It's not based upon being a good person or going to church or calling yourself a Christian, but it is based upon faith in Jesus Christ. Christ has been condemned. He has been punished for our sins that we might be free from the law of sin and death. He lived under the law so that we would not have to live up to that law. And this is why that gospel is such good news. It is the best news. It is the news that people need. Because we sense in this world, and it's not just Christian, it's, 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 un, it's unbelievers as well. They sense in this world that something is wrong, that something is broken. When they think about some of the things that are happening around the world, things that are happening within their state or their community, there is a sense inside that says there is something that is broken in this world. And that's because there is. There is something that is broken in this world. But Jesus Christ came to fix that. He came to give us Freedom, freedom from condemnation, freedom from the law. And that freedom is made available through Christ. But there's, a, there's one last thing that we want to talk about. That the gospel brings freedom to serve, freedom to serve. When we are freed from condemnation, the sin of the law, we are justified before God through the work of Christ. Through the work of Christ. But we receive freedom in Christ and freedom to serve the Lord. And so notice what Paul says as we continue on here in Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. All right, so what is, what is Paul doing here? Well, well he's, he's looking at two different groups, an unbeliever and a believer. And he says they, they have different goals in life. All right, and then let's go ahead and look at that next verse. For those who set the mind of the flesh... For those who set the mind on the flesh is death, but those who set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so Paul is not talking about a backslidden Christian here. He's really describing or contrasting a believer with an unbeliever. Through the gospel, the believer believer has the opportunities to serve the Lord. Not that the unbeliever not that the uh, unbeliever never does anything good because unbelievers do lots of good things. And that's not to say that Christians never do anything bad because sadly, there's a lot of Christians who do a lot of bad things as well. But what we're talking about here, freedom to serve, we're talking about a, a real way to please the Lord, to honor the Lord with our lives. See, the world may do things, good things, based upon reputation or maybe even to a desire to earn their salvation. The unsaved person lives to please himself and rarely thinks about pleasing God because the root of our sin is selfishness. It is not God's will, but may my will be done. According to God, or honoring God starts with faith in the gospel. And so really, if, we're, if the question here this morning was, well, how do I honor the Lord? What is that first step? How do I get things right? That first next step is salvation. We cannot serve Christ outside or serve the Lord outside of the gospel. Now, we can do good things. and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. So Paul continues on and he says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Again, he's, he's looking at an unbeliever and a believer, and he says that unbeliever, there's just no way that, that his mind is naturally hostile to God. And then he says this in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so again, those that are outside of the gospel, those that have never put their faith and trust in the, in the work of Jesus Christ, there's just no way that they can really serve the Lord or, or please the Lord or honor the Lord. They can go through the motions and they can make it appear that they have good judgment and good morals, but that's all it is. They're just Let me give you a picture here. This is a picture of, of a, a normal person's life. All right? It shows our position uh, going up the side there, our position here, and then on the bottom here, our condition. Now, I want to point this out because this is how salvation works for each one of us. All right? For each one of us. So first of all, notice that this is where we are prior to Christ. Okay? We're we're living our life, and, and uh, we're going along life. We're enjoying life. We're, we're eating and drinking and being merry, and, and uh, things, are, things are moving along. 
And then we're confronted with this. That life is not as good as you think it is. That really we're broken people. And that we need Jesus Christ. And so we're confronted with the gospel. We realize that we're sinners. We put our faith and, and trust in Jesus Christ. We're saved by Christ. All right? Now, this is, uh, I don't have enough room up here, but this is God's view up here. All right? That's our position. As far as God is concerned, we're in heaven. Our, our name is on that, that mailbox or on the door that, that we have a place in heaven. That our position before God is that we've been justified. All right? Now, we are not righteous on our own, but as far as God is concerned, he sees us as righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done on our part. That is our position. Our position before God is the fact that we have been justified, not condemned, justified. But then we have here, this is the spiritual life, this little area right here. This is the spiritual life. The spiritual life, we have ups and downs. Okay, there's some times where we say yes to the Lord and, and through the Spirit we're, we're submitting to the Lord and, and we're having victories. But then we also know for there are times also in our life where we say yes to our flesh and we say no to God and, and maybe we, we, we try to live in a wisdom. And then we get those things right and we move a little bit toward the God. Now that is our process that we're living on earth, that we are growing to be more like Christ. All right? We're being sanctified. That process of sanctification. But as far as God is concerned, we're already perfect because of Christ. Now, notice here in this graph here that the, when the person slid downward, did their position before God change? No. How about when they did the right things and, and they obeyed the Lord and they went up? Did their position with God change? No. Their position stayed the same. And in life, we may have victories, but that doesn't mean that God loves us anymore. That just means that we honor God more with our lives. Let me give you another example. Does God love us any less when we make mistakes? No. Again, because Jesus Christ, he paid for our past, our present, and our future sake. That though our We might be used to seeing this area here. We might look at our individuals. We might look at our children. We might look at relatives. We might look at our spouse. And we might think to ourselves, why aren't they just like, like flowing off the chart here? But then when we look at our own life, we realize this is us as well. That we grow know our position before God has been changed. Why? Because Jesus Christ has changed us. And that's why the gospel has the power to change lives. That's why the gospel is so important. That's why Jesus Christ came. That he was born of a baby. He lived under the law. He grew up and lived under the law. And he died in our place. Why? 
Why not just come on day one, die on the cross, and then leave? Why, why go through the whole birth process? Because we live in our place. So that before God, we might be justified. He died in our place so that we would not be condemned. And he rose again so that we would know that one day, I'm running out of colors here. I got this all marked up. That one day we would know that we would ultimately live with him forever and ever and ever. The justice Christ had to resurrect, and we truly will have a resurrection. And so that is the testimony of the believer. One day we will live with God forever and ever and ever. Not because we are righteous but because Christ's righteousness has been given to us through salvation, through faith and the work of the gospel. And so as we kind of close here, this is why the, good news, or why the gospel is good news. Number one, it is the power to free us from condemnation. We deserve that guilty verdict, but we've been set free from that guilty verdict. We have been free from the law. The law really shows us that we are sinners. We could never live up to the law, but we don't have to because we are covered under the law of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. Number three, the gospel is good news because it has the power to put us into a right relationship with our Creator. That Jesus Christ lived under the law and yet he never once broke the law. Number four, the gospel has the power to equip us to live for the Lord, that we are growing to be more like Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says this, and we're going to close with this. We started with it. We're going to close with it today. I believe this really was Paul's drive in his life. He said this, For I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that word ashamed is similar to the idea that we find in Genesis chapter 3. Now in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they, they sin and, and they realize they're naked and what do they do? They hide. Why do they hide? Well, they're fearful of God and they're ashamed because they've broken God's command. God told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did that, and they were fearful of God, and they were ashamed that they were naked before God. And so they went and they hid themselves. Paul did not hide the gospel. He was not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was willing to share the gospel with anyone who would listen. And why? Because Paul believed this, and this is what we believe this morning as well. Because the gospel contains the power of God for salvation. Again, not our power, not our works, but it's God's power that changes our life. It's God's power that saves us. Again, that idea of grace, that, that idea of faith and grace. And then notice what else Paul says to everyone who believes. And sometimes we get stuck on this. We get stuck on this. Well, who will believe? I mean, like, if I, if I tell, like, ten people then, then I've wasted my time, and, and that's not the case. I don't think Paul ever thought to himself, that was a worthless lie. I think Paul was always willing to share the good news 
same thing based upon God's word. I am not ashamed. I do not hide the gospel because I realize it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he says this to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The idea here is that it's not just for Israel. It's not just for Israel. And, and it's not just for the Gentiles. All right. It's for all mankind. All mankind. And so really as we think about the gospel, it's for our neighbors. It's for our community. And it's not just for our neighbors in our communities. It's for everyone. For all men at all times in all places. The gospel changes lives. So I asked the question at the very beginning. Does the gospel still have power as it did during Pentecost? Yes. It has power to change lives. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for what you did for us through Jesus Christ. That, that on our own, we, we are not perfect. We constantly fall short of your glory. We make mistakes. We have wrong attitudes. We do good things for the wrong reasons. But Lord, thank you that our position before you does not change. Because our position before you is not based upon our good works or our failures. But our position before you is through Jesus Christ. That we have been freed from condemnation and the penalty of, of, of that guilty verdict. That we have been freed from the law and the standards that we know that we cannot live up to. That really we have been freed through Jesus Christ because he lived in our place. And lastly, Lord, we pray that you would help us to serve you with our lives. Help us to be different from the world because we have your spirit changing us from the inside out. Though our position doesn't change, Lord, help us to honor you with our lives. And Lord, as we continue to think about this theme for this year, we pray that you would prepare us as Christians, as individuals, to be able to share that good news. As we think about uh, uh, Paul's exhortation here and how he was not ashamed, help us to feel equipped and trained as, as we continue to cover these, this, this topic of the gospel this next year so that we might also... Feel confident, just as Paul did, in sharing that good news. In Jesus' name, amen.